This podcast is brought to you by Primary Intelligence, a corporate visions company. Through our platform, True Voice, we're bringing you automated win, loss, and no decision analysis at scale so you can find and fix seller blind spots in near real time. With automated customer feedback from every opportunity, you'll uncover what buyers truly care about when purchasing, what your competitors are doing to adapt, and how the experience with your sales reps impact win rates. With this new insight, your sellers automatically receive the right science-backed sales training from Corporate Visions based on their individual strengths and weaknesses. It's time to get more from your win-loss analysis. True Voice moves you from just-in-case to just-in-time coaching and training. Visit us at www.truevoice.io and start winning more today. Hey everyone, and thanks for joining me on another edition of Sales Intelligence Weekly brought to you by Primary Intelligence. I'm Ryan Queller. Sales leaders and frontline sales reps face real and very large challenges on the daily. One such challenge is as the buyer's journey continually shifts to a digital first experience, the time sellers have with buyers is continually shrinking. This means that sellers have got to make the most of the time they have with buyers and, and understand what they can do personally to impact win rates. It's imperative that go-to-market teams quickly identify the blind spots that cause reps to lose winnable deals. And it's even more important to know how to fix those problems in real time. In a time where every deal matters, you must be able to track strengths, weaknesses, and the health of each sales rep. The big question is, how? How do we do this? Let's address this question today head on. Chewing on this one with me is my friend and new coworker, Mr. Tim Reister, Chief Strategy Officer at Corporate Visions. Tim, welcome to the show. Hey, Ryan. Thanks. I appreciate it. And that was, yeah, you, you, the way you made that point about us being coworkers now, we haven't even got to meet in person yet, but uh, I feel like I already know you. <laughs> well, welcome to the show. So for those of our listeners that may not be aware, Primary Intelligence was recently acquired by Corporate Visions. And by the way, there's a ton of exciting things in the works, and we're going to be talking about some of those things today. But Tim, before we get into that conversation, we have a, a practice here at uh, Sales Intelligence Weekly uh, to to introduce our our guests. So tell us a little bit more about you, about Corporate Visions, and and why we're bringing PI and CVI together. Yeah. So for years, Corporate Visions, I would say, if you just had to succinctly describe what we do, is we improve the conversations that salespeople have with customers. I always like to say my job is all about salespeople with their lips moving and recognizing that the reality of that is that a lot of things can happen in and around a deal, right? You got to have the right products. You got to be there. You got to show up well, but, and, and you got to have a process and you got to follow that. But really the make or break moment is your ability or inability to articulate value because most products and services look alike, smell alike, sound alike, they're priced a lot alike. Uh, any, anybody who's still in a category is probably there because they win their fair share. And, and so the real difference maker comes down to someone articulating value, having the right conversation, a salesperson with their lips moving. So I, I love this. Um, 
So there's something that we've seen a primary intelligence that I think aligns really well here. And I want to, I want to hear from your perspective, what you think. So we hear buyers talk about value. Uh, one of the value things is helping sellers, helping buyers make sense of the differences between the different products. Cause as you just said, products all look and smell alike, right? It's like, they all, they're all like the same thing. So this product will do what that product will do. How can, you know, we as, as sellers help buyers make sense of it. And that's how they're defining value. Is that what you're seeing at, at CVI as well in your years of experience? Absolutely. And, and what we do is we look at the research behind why buyers buy. So we try to study the decision-making process that goes on in a buyer's mind. And what we know is that foundational to making a decision is the buyer being able to create some contrast, uh, a contrast between the two competitors. If they look alike, they can't make a decision. It's just too hard to make a decision. So they like force contrast. And if you can't help them see the contrast, they'll make some contrast. And I always joke that the way they make contrast is usually find out who can lower their price the most. And we all think that pricing and lower prices is a budget issue, uh, a budget constraint. The reality is it's, it's, a, it's a plea for contrast from a buyer who's saying, well, all, when all appears the same, I need some contrast. If somebody lowers their price, boop, there's the contrast I was looking for. So the, the idea here is that the contrast should come in before you get to that point where the only lever of contrast to pull is price. So contrast, creating contrast, is almost number one skill of salespeople to win more than their fair share. Okay. So I think we're seeing the same things and man, I am just stoked for our, our companies to come together. Thank you for acquiring us, all of those things. Let's get into this, Tim. Okay. So let's talk about sales leaders and the hurdles that they're facing. What are, what are those biggest issues in, in 2023? What are those biggest issues that sales leaders um, ha have to overcome? Yeah, I, I worry that um, anything I say could sound like hyperbole because it, there's a lot of hand-wringing and a lot of questions about not only where we are from a macroeconomic uh, economic standpoint, but like just even the overall engagement. As you said, when I go into companies that were predominantly field sales driven and I say, hey, what percentage of your sales revenue is coming from inside sales? They'll give me some dinky little number. Like they'll say like, oh, I don't know, 5%. And they're thinking about, like the small inside sales team they have. And then I'll ask the same, the next question, I'll be like, what percentage of your time as a field salesperson, what percentage of your time on each deal is digital, voicemail, email, web conferencing versus face-to-face? -face? And they'll go, hmm, it's probably 90 plus percent digital. And then I'm like, okay, now I want you to, I want you to go back and answer my first question. What percentage of your revenue is being driven by digital? And they all are now having that aha moment that makes them realize that that is the, the exclusive experience that both the buyer wants and the seller's in. And, and that is creating a new dynamic where people who were, I always joke, like, we used to be on an expense account. Now we're on a cadence. And, and the diligence, the persistence, and all the other, uh, if you will, ergonomics of being a digital inside seller, virtual seller are now the reality, right? Where uh, in the past, your tech stack was a nice to have, hey, I'm going to be out meeting with clients. Maybe I'll use your tech later when I get a chance. Now it's going to be not a nice to have, it's going to be you have to use. It's literally going to drive your sales motion. And then in there, as you said, 
the customer self-serve so much of that experience, you get small, short windows to be effective, remarkable, memorable, compelling. How do you maximize that small sliver of real estate that's left for you? And in, in a way that also you add value in a world where there was so much stuff they could consume without you. That's the, it's, it's, I don't want to say it's existential, um, but it's darn near existential for the traditional uh, way of sales. So hyperbolic or not, that's a truth. Uh, you just dropped the truth bomb is what you did. So that that's absolutely true. And we're seeing that every day when we do our research uh, with, with our large organizations that we serve, uh, we are seeing this exact thing. And it's, it's really the salespeople um, ability to differentiate that that is the the driver of the win or the loss. And for sales leaders, that becomes a headache. Why? What kind of headaches does this drive or problems does this create for sales leaders knowing that buyers have shifted this direction? What does that cause for the leader? Yeah, I think that that this becomes like an interesting sort of two-part problem when you think of the ability or inability to differentiate and distinguish in in those short amounts of time you get a shot at it uh, because it's is it a skills problem um is it a process problem is it a story problem like like what what i i, I always tell this story about a study i saw about poker players and what they did is it was online poker. They looked at 103 million hands of online poker. So if you play online poker, they're looking at your data. And what they found is that only 12% of the time did the best hand win. 88% of the time, the best player won. And, and that meant regardless of the hand they were dealt, if you're a good player, you can still win. And you're going to win more than your fair share of time. And I said, oh my gosh, that's selling. It, it, it's almost like the hand you're dealt isn't the big deal anymore. It's how you now handle the hand you've been dealt. And that hand you've been dealt is this new digital environment. It's the, the buyer preferences. It's the parity with your product lines. And, and so regardless of the hand you're dealt, the best player will win. And so now the question for leaders becomes, how do you create the best players? Because it's in, it's in your hands, or like I like to say, it's on your lips. So um, this is the thing where everybody has to sort of reframe their idea of, of what they're going to do with that precious short amount of time that they have, regardless of the modality or the channel they have it on and figure out how can I be the best player? Because it doesn't matter anymore. If you have the best product, it's, it's a totally different experience. Okay. So I'm tracking 100% and yes, align for the sales leader. It's how, how do we create that, that, that best player? Okay. So that's from the leadership perspective. Let's look from the front line now. Uh, what are maybe the greatest hurdles for the frontline folks, these sales reps that are out there doing the work, what do they have to overcome, you know, in 23, 24? Yeah. I mean, it's been, it's been said before, but I think we were all saying it just sort of in jest, meaning, wow, what value can a seller add anymore? Because basically all the things they used to do are now being done online by your website. And your website can be more up to date than you and faster. <laughs> you can make a website update with a new product instantly. And how long does it take you to adopt and understand the product and its positioning, its differentiation and certify on its features and benefits. So your website's faster uh, and it's more complete because it can, it can hold everything. You can only hold so much as a human. So now how do I add value? I'm not that expert anymore. I used to be a process expert. 
So, right, it used to be I was a product expert. Now I was a process expert. Let's run the process. That's how we're going to win more. Well, the process is completely dis, dis, disintermediated, disrupted, whatever word you want to choose. It's happening here. It's happening there. It's happening online. It's happening all over the place. Like the customer's in control of the process, such as it is anymore. So what's really left, I argue, is that the only thing you can really do is you can begin to understand the psychology of the situation, like help somebody facilitate the buying decision, get them to a decision because they have so much information at their disposal, they're overwhelmed because they're running their own process and it gets a little wonky and unwieldy and there's all these people involved in it. It's out of control and it's somewhat chaos. Like the thing that's left for the seller in some ways is just to be able to facilitate and, and get people to a buying decision. And that starts with understanding the psychology of the moment you're in, like where's your buyer's head at? And, and we've done research in the areas of different selling buying situations that prospects and customers are in and how a seller must adjust based on that situation that your buyer's in. And it becomes fascinating. A whole new world of sales effectiveness kind of opens up when you start to look at it through that lens. Okay. I think, I think a picture starting to come into focus here. Leaders got a problem of creating that, that person, that, that, excellent salesperson. How do they do that in today's environment? And on the front line, we've got the sales rep who has, is no longer product expert or process expert necessarily. That's not to say that they, they aren't, but not necessarily what they are today, what they have to be, what must needs be is a, a helping expert, right? They have to be able to help the customer, the buyer make sense and navigate the waters of making a decision. Am I, am I tracking? Am I following you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's it, it the the premise of uh, if I had to say in the past, I think this was true, but even more so, if you are a student of human psychology and you can understand how human decision making happens or doesn't, and understand the irrational and the rational components of it, you have a leg up in your ability. You can become the better player regardless of the hand you're dealt or the products and services you have, because that's where you can add value. The problem is, like you said, it's not that they aren't a product expert or a process expert. It's just that those don't add enough value anymore. I mean, that's that's table stakes. That doesn't make you the best player anymore. It, it, it is this ability to understand where the situation your buyer is in and how to get them from doing it one way today to doing it a different way tomorrow and then doing it with you. And if I boil down <laughs> the essence of what you're trying to do is help somebody see the need to change, help them see the why and the urgency. And then get them to begin that journey of change and, and, that, and get them to choose you to take them on that journey. And the neat thing that happens is usually the one who helps them see the need, who creates that vision for change, is the one they reward with the opportunity to take them on that journey for change. And, and that's where it really starts. And, and to me, that's what makes this so interesting is that if you could win there, you can you don't need competitive differentiation in your products anymore because you create a different differentiation in the experience that you can you can get them through. Okay, so I love this. We're, we're we're tracking. We've talked about the issues. Let's start getting into some of the the the, the parts that might be um, have been somewhat of a mystery for leaders. Any leaders out there listening today? You're going to go. Yep, I get this. This is hard. How do we do this? Let's first yeah. talk about why. Why should leaders be tracking rep performance or rep health? Well, what, what the data shows us, 
again, is, is like the poker analogy that 88% of it has to do with how good the player plays, not the products, is we've been misguided, we've been misled to think that if we lose, it's the product's fault. Mm. Um, and, and if we lose, it's the price's fault. It's everybody's fault other than the player. But when you, obviously, at uh, Primary Intelligence, the work you've done over the years and the research we've done into buyers, we realize that it is less about that anymore. And it's more about the experience they have and any missteps in the experience, again, or the ability or inability to articulate value. And because you can, you can, every company we work with has high performers and low performers, but all of those performers sell the same stuff. They have the same discount schedule. They're on the same tech stack, yet they're still high performers and low performers. And so when you really start to net it out, it, it zeroes in on, on this ability to communicate effective value and, 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 and motivate and persuade someone to make decisions and move on that. And, and that, that isn't what they teach you in manager school. Um, you're supposed to watch the funnel. You're supposed to look at all these various analytics and intelligence, revenue intelligence sort of data points, when in, in reality, again, is can this person get it over the line and their lips are moving? Is, is this customer going to respond? And there's just not enough there right now, at least, to be able to know which of those areas your seller is struggling in. So when you talk about seller health, there are core skills and core experiences that a seller can create or not that we found can make all the difference in terms of the buyer's uh, willingness to choose you versus somebody else. And what I think we're getting pretty good at now is now that we've identified those seven or eight core skills along the buying journey and how the customer views them and where typically sellers fall down and struggle and, and where they can do well, is if you could isolate for each rep, which of those skills are causing them to win or to lose deals, and then intervene rep by rep on those things that matter to them, as opposed to most training today is, is like is spread like peanut butter. It's like everybody needs negotiation training because we need a couple basis points. Everybody needs this or everybody needs that. And the reality is that's not true. What we see in the data is, is that rep to rep, there are cohorts that start to form around these different skill areas. And you should be able to personalize, customize that training journey for each rep based on their blind spots, their weak areas that customers themselves can help us identify. Yeah, but Tim, you're talking about voodoo magic. Like how, how can you possibly get to the sales rep level of measurement? I mean, that's never, who does that? How do we do that? Now, how can these leaders get a real pulse on their team sales health at the rep level? Yeah, I think there's been a couple of ways people have tried to do it. And I think there's a way that, uh, that's going to work. <laughs> so let's just talk about the way people have tried to do it. One, they, they, um, they tried to do competency mapping and competency assessments. I don't think those are, uh, we have discovered that you can give the seller a competency map and a, an assessment and score themselves. And then when you ask their manager, they score them differently. And then when you ask their customers, they tell you something totally different. So what we know is sell sellers cannot assess themselves properly for the skills they actually need. And we find out that managers struggle to assess reps skills accurately as well. So competency maps and assessments are kind of out. 
And the second thing that people started to look at is, well, we got a CRM system here and we can use KPIs. Like let's find the cohort of sellers who are struggling to create enough pipeline. We know what our average close rate is. Look, here's a cohort of 30 sellers who are so far behind in their pipeline based on our company's average close rate, they'll never hit quota. Let's try and intervene there. And that I think was a big step forward, like uh, uh, wait, moving away from competency maps and now moving to actual KPIs. But here's the biggest problem with KPIs is people don't put enough of the data into a CRM system to really make sense. And it's hard to track because the data goes in. Uh, it doesn't go in when the rep does something. It goes in like right before they close a deal when they got to put stuff in there because they're, they're, their company wants it. So it's just not a reliable source, even though KPIs are a great indicator of where a rep might be struggling. So what we're looking at now is, um, and here's the other thing, reps are in denial. Like if, if their manager says, yeah, you're, you're struggling here. Uh, you, you just, you got, you got an agenda. You got an extra grind. You've always liked Sally better. Um, if, if, the, if the CRM system says this and they go, how would it know? I don't even put my own data in there, right? And if a competency map or assessment or enablement or training team says, here's what it says, someone in your role needs, they're like, oh, give me a break. I've been doing this for 20 years. So there's only one source of insight that we believe will cause a rep to believe they need to do something different and change. And that same source probably pinpoints with the best accuracy what actually needs to change, and that's client or customer feedback. The customer's own experience in the buying journey with that rep across the different moments of truth in a buying journey and being able to isolate those things they should have expected or experienced with that rep and then be able to score that experience and then get that report card deal by deal, rep by rep back into the company's hands so you can start to analyze actual client feedback, something sellers start to believe or at least feel they have are obligated to listen to because that's their job uh, to impress a client, right? Um, and then being able to do that with enough scale, with enough deals for every rep that you can start to see the patterns and see the health, find the gaps and weaknesses and remediate that very specific thing to help them get better in the area they need it. But then rep B, you might have a completely different scorecard based on their client's feedback and you go help them where they need it most. There's been a dream in the world of training and development and enablement, and that's this idea of just-in-time training based on the situation, as opposed to just-in-case training based on a calendar and a catalog. And I think we're there, Ryan. I think we're there in terms of being able to isolate the kind of inputs and feedback we need to um, determine those blind spots and then have the skills chunked in such a way that you can deploy them in a useful, almost near-time response once you find that um, that blind spot. Okay, so um, I think we're there as well. I think we're really dang close to being there and having this thing cooked, which for me is is like, you know, is like Everest. It's it's the white whale that everybody's been going after. It's the, you know, the the Olympic gold medal. This this is the next next generation of intelligence for sales. What is Tell me more about this. You know, we're almost there. The sales fitness tracker. Help us understand how it all comes together. Because what we're talking about, so many, so many sales leaders have said, look, I've heard the, the song and dance before, but we've never been able to pull it all together. How is CVI, how is corporate visions doing this? 
well, we couldn't do it alone. <laughs> Primary intelligence and this merger is really what brought the two things together. Um, I'm old enough to remember the old peanut butter chocolate commercial for Reese's and they bump into each other and they made a better bar, right? And um, and it may be an overused metaphor, but um, it's wait, still Wait, wait, hold favorite. on, hold on. So was it peanut butter? Did your peanut butter fall into their chocolate or did your chocolate fall into their peanut butter? What can't So it would have been my peanut butter because I'm an addict. And uh, my name so, is Tim. It's been five minutes. <laughs> right, right. I eat peanut butter by the jar and a spoon. And that's that's not an untrue story. Um, <laughs> and uh, and uh, that's how I made it through bachelorhood. Um, so anyways, the idea here is that uh, two parts had to come to play, but two different companies were working on the parts. One is how do you get enough customer feedback at scale so that you can start to see patterns in customer feedback on a per rep basis? And, and so win-loss, no decision analysis companies doing manual analysis, we're, we're struggling, I think, to get enough critical mass and then to have ongoing looks that would help each rep isolate a problem and then even be able to monitor it ongoing once they made an adjustment. It wasn't until the, the automation of customer win-loss, no decision feedback uh, uh, came into being that we could even get enough data points on a per rep basis to start to have like statistically valid evidence of the blind spots, the strengths, the weaknesses, or the hits and misses. So it starts with automated customer feedback. So CRM system, close a deal, win, loss, no decision, boom, kick out an interview to a customer. And through a number of nudges, right? Multiple nudges, the customer win, loss, no decision, sends their, their feedback back. Uh, and now we're all of a sudden seeing 20, 30, 40% of all your deals on an ongoing basis providing feedback. And they're providing feedback now at the rep level based on their experience with the rep, their, their views of the solution and the value you provide and even your competitive position. But what really gets interesting is when we ask them questions about their experience with the rep. Hey, for example, um, how well did your rep prepare you with a business case that passed muster with business and financial buyers? You know, the non-user technical buyer, like just asking questions and then getting them to rate on a scale of one, not so much at all, seven, oh, wow, they knocked my socks off on a number of critical skills that the buyer experiences. So one might be building a business case. One might be providing expertise and insights. Another might be being a creative, you know, negotiator and finding win-win. Like we can ask all these questions and start cranking in the customer feedback at scale. Solve problem number one, get enough data. Number two, then being able to crunch that and turn that into insights and be able to isolate um, on a per rep basis uh, when you look at their deals, where they're strong, where they're weak from the client's perspective. And now you're like, here's 20 of your deals. I think we can see this number here that you've got on this skill and, and compare it now to your peers. You're 15 percentage points on this skill below the average of the rest of your peers. This could be one we should work on. And customers consistently score you low here, or they consistently score you high here. In fact, you're uh, in, in best in class in our company. Maybe you can provide some feedback or give some examples to the rest of our reps, but we can isolate this now down to the skill level and the skills impact at different parts of the buyer's journey. And where corporate visions comes to the table is we've always been sitting on the skills training but it's been in learning and development's hands in a catalog. And they're like, hey, rep, you've been here three years now. You've earned this course. Go take this course. Not today. I know you may need it today, but we can't get you on the calendar until six months from now. And, and when it comes to a town near you, 
Um, now that we can do virtual training, you can you can get it fast enough. But the reality is, the reality is, is the learning and development model was just in case you get it when you get it, and hopefully you can remember it and use it when you need it. Now we're like, hey, <laughs> customer one came in, looks like you could use some help here. Here's some coaching in those specific areas. Customer two, three, four, five, six comes in. You might want to take an even deeper dive on this because you're consistently struggling in this area. Now you work on that. You take that coaching. You start to remediate that issue as a rep. And now you watch the rest of your deals come in to see if your scores improve. Like my mind blew when I saw this as a possibility because every enablement person, every training person wants to know a couple things. One, what should we train them on? Two, can we get it to them now in the moment of need? I like to call it deficit learning. We all learn best when we're in a deficit. And then if we do fix it or remediate it, have they adopted it and did it make a difference? And then because you got the customer feedback coming in for all the deals after it, you're like, yeah or no. And 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 I'm like, holy crap, holy. I mean, this is this is that is Italian, it. by the way. Yeah, that's a I, you know, uh I married an Italian woman. I I, you know, by osmosis, I now speak a little. <laughs> um and uh the idea here is that that's why we're calling it the rep fitness tracker, because it's sort of is happening as it's happening. You're getting this, these, these, this, these data points that you don't know or can't see yourself, like you're that's sensing what your body's telling you. Here we're sensing what customers are saying about you. And it's pinpointing those things you need some help in. And, and then you get some prescriptive ideas. Maybe you should get up and walk around a little bit. <laughs> you know, Maybe you should stop eating those potato chips. I, I, I jest, but the idea is that um, it, it is really finally brought together the vision that enablement and learning development and management has had, which is where are the blind spots? Which ones are causing us to lose deals? How can we remediate that almost in real time, just in time, and, and do that in a situational way that we can then measure in a meaningful way after the fact? And that's what we've got. That's where we're going. At the rep level. That just does not exist anywhere in the market. And that's why I'm so excited for this merger as well. Truly a peanut butter chocolate kind of moment. Tim. Um, so you just laid out uh, the sales fitness tracker, why true voice helps reach helps uh, organizations get beyond traditional win loss and reach critical mass of data so that, that, you know, the reality at the rep level can be, uh, identified. The issues can be identified at the rep level. The thing we have missed is what you bring to the table. It's the years and years in the science of what to do about it man, this is, I'm just terribly excited. And the customers that we have that are joint customers that I've talked with are also terribly excited. So can't wait for this to go. Um, okay. What about other types of data sources? We've talked about true voice and the, the, you know, the, the sales fitness tracker and, and what we're doing as a joint company as corporate visions. Um, tell me about things like crayon, you know, competitive intelligence and, or gong conversational intelligence, where do those fit in this schema? Yeah. So it gets really exciting. Um, I'll start with uh, the conversation or intelligence or gong type companies course and whatnot. And a lot of people are into it now. So a lot of companies figured this seemed to be important that we would record calls. And I will tell you as a company that trained salespeople to have better conversations, we were like singing the hallelujah chorus. We're like, call recordings. That's where it's at. I can't wait to see all the AI and machine learning that spits out all of the needs so that we can apply our training to that. All that happened is a lot of people got hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of call recordings and managers are like, huh, <laughs> where do I even start? 
And I, I, you know, I'm not poo-pooing any of that, but I don't feel like the machine learning and the AI has been able to pinpoint accurately skills gaps that are meaningful to the cut. They might be, oh, you talk too much or, you know, this happened or that happened. But the reality is there's data to be mined and included and add value. But in and of itself, managers just couldn't deal with the overwhelming volume. So what we're excited about is now imagine the system that we're talking about, the fitness tracker for sales, identifying the, the pain points, problem areas, or weaknesses of a rep by, by skill and giving them their scores and giving them their coaching and remediation, but also going out and clipping a gong transcript and audio recording where that would have taken place in an actual customer call. So now your report card as a rep is, here's what your customer scored you. Here's some verbatims from that customer. Here's some coaching. Oh, by the way, you should go back and listen to these spots in your calls because this is where that came up. It's almost like you get to run a replay. It's not like, I, I don't like sports analogies, but I know it's a big deal to watch game film after a game and go, oh, from this perspective, I now see what I missed. Well, now you can go back and listen to the call, but you don't have to listen to an hour. You don't have to listen to it at 2x. You can go back to just those snippets where this made sense. And that's all now in your scorecard. That to me is, 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 um, is, is the breakthrough that everybody needed with their hours and hours, thousands of hours of calls is now you're just grabbing the right snippets and placing them in the right place so that they get a holistic view of that problem. And they can hear it from a real time, con uh, from a conversation that happened in the sales cycle. So that is an amazing sort of way to think about this improving their performance. And then you got the others, right? You got competitive intelligence is one where now we're going to get all these deals at scale. You're going to start to see which competitors come up a lot for a certain rep. And you're going to see which ones they do well and don't do well against. And, and yes, I need some new skills as a rep, but I also probably need to know how to do better relative to certain competitors and how we should or shouldn't be positioning there. And, and I think just the intel that the, the competitive intelligence companies are gathering and the ability then to, to reconsider your positioning based on the feedback you're getting if you consistently lose to one or another, um, that just, again, the, 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 I don't want people to worry that this is gonna get overwhelming or too complicated. What I want people to see is my little rep report card is gonna have all kinds of little buttons I can push that can give me additional desirable intelligence. Here's my weak spot. Here's the verbatim from the customer. Mm, that stings. Here's my coaching to get me better at that. Thank you very much. Here's a call recording where this came up just to see you know, what that sounded like and how you can improve that now that you've listened to yourself and how the customer did or didn't respond. Oh, and now here's this insight or that insight from another system. It, it's going to uh, create a whole sort of fully orbed enablement moment for a rep. And, and, and the beauty is that uh, we can isolate it and we can integrate it in a way that is accessible and more importantly, meaningful to the context the rep is in. So it the, the possibilities I think are limitless. I, I don't think we've even scratched the surface of other data points sitting out there that could now become useful data points instead of just data points if we can get them inside of this report card. Oh man. So good. So good. So this fully orbed, um, sales enablement moment that you just mentioned, and by the way, I think we need to trademark that fully orbed, but, um, you know, when we're talking when we're talking here, 
about this new solution. What, what do you expect the impact will be of this sales fitness tracker? Yeah, I think that the ability to make these behavior changes in the moment of deficit or need is going to be a huge improvement. But then the ability to monitor and measure that, like, did they do the work that they were given? And now are we seeing the behavior change? And are we seeing the customers respond to that? The I think we're going to be able to do a much better job of understanding who's coachable, <laughs> who's not coachable. And that's always an intangible when it comes to trying to, hey, can I make, can this rep make it, right? And, and they're always like, well, are they coachable? Well, you don't really know, you know, because they can nod their head, they can smile and appear coachable and then do nothing that you told them to do. This, this level of inspection, and again, coming from the customer's input about it is, is, is I think going to help, especially as we look at, here's the reality, sellers are going to be covering a bigger patch because we're going to be all digital inside selling and we're going to have all kinds of tools to make us more efficient. And, and so there's just, there's just going to be a lot more data available to us uh, than ever before on, on rep performance. And yet I think what will stand out uh, among them all is what the customer actually has to say. And I think that that's, that's the thing that for, for the manager leader coach, um, that's going to break all ties. Uh, and it's, it's, it's going to make all the decision-making or breaking the ties uh, that you have to, when you're making decisions about reps and territories and assignments and all these other things, uh, just it's, it's going to give you a crystal clear view. I think that, uh, is, um, <laughs> we're not going to be able to fudge anymore. It's, it's, it, it's art and science, but it's a lot of science. Uh, and, and that's okay. Um, that, this is what I always say is everybody thought selling was art. And till we found out for 40 years of behavioral science, that decision-making is a science. And so the reality is, if you want to impact decision making as a seller, you have to follow the science. And um, it may look artful in your delivery, but there's science behind it because there's science at work. And all of this around it now, uh, I think, brings us to a point where we can we can engage, execute, replicate using the science. So um at the leader level, giving that kind of transparency and, 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 and giving us the reality of what's what is, is so, so imperative at the rep level. What, what will this do? If I'm an individual rep, why, why do I care about this? You know, there's a, there's one thing about, I think being in sales to some degree, there's a, a you often compete with yourself, right? Mm. Like, you you uh, you have a number. You got to go hit that number. It, it is it a team sport? I don't know. I likened it to gymnastics. My daughter competed all the way through college, and like it's sort of a team sport when they have a team score. But when it comes to winning a medal in that event, you win or you don't, right? And so it's it's similar. Like the company wins when everybody plays well, but the reality is the person's got to do their job. And and I think that that reps go in this understanding that it's sort of a personal challenge. It's a personal game. It's like they have to keep themselves sharp. And I, I got to think that, like I said, there are so many other people whose opinions don't matter to a rep except the customers. And, and because they know that getting better in that dynamic is the only thing that will help them win more. 
filling in another blue sheet or green sheet, um, checking the box on the number of activities you got to perform, um, putting all the blank, <laughs> filling all the blanks in your CRM system, uh, taking the mandatory training that HR puts out. They, they sometimes they'll do it, they'll do it begrudgingly, or sometimes they'll just pocket veto it. But the one thing they cannot avoid is the reality of what customers say about their experience with them. And that's why I feel like this is, this is the thing as an individual rep that's going to rock your world. Um, and and um, again, you may have a difference of opinion with your customer, but you realize they're the decision maker here. So now how can you, how can you move forward now knowing what you know and knowing it in, 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 at scale from multiple customers uh, ought to paint a picture for you to follow and, and give you again, that specific thing to work on. Uh, that's why we have personal trainers, right? I, I, I don't go into the gym often because I'm fully orbed, but maybe around my midsection. Um, <laughs> but what I do know is I don't want to waste my time. Uh, I, I want to, I want to be precise uh, with the time I have and I'm willing to give. I want to know I'm not wasting it because I loathe it. <laughs> I loathe the extra work, but I want to know if I'm putting it in, it's going to work. This is what this will do, right? This is, this is what I think a good competitive seller wants to know is if I'm going to put any time into something to improve myself, it's going to be something that's going to return. And, and now I know what I need to work on. And, and I think that's a, that's a personal breakthrough as well at the individual rep level. Powerful stuff. Rounding third here uh, to, to use more sports analogy, because, you know, why not? Uh, no, but rounding out our conversation. Um, if you had, I don't know, a, a single piece of advice to leave our listeners with on where to potentially start or, or how to change paradigms to embrace the realities of what's what the, you know, uh, sales fitness trackers bringing to the table, what, what advice would, would you give? Yeah, I think that the era of sales process led us to believe that if we just followed certain steps in a certain order, and if we completed them, everything would sort of take care of itself. And, uh, and it's not not true. But I think, you know, the really good sales reps knows, no, there's another level above that. And that's my whole point about that. There's always high and low performers. And they have the same tech stack. They try to follow the same process. They sell the same products and they have the same discount schedule. I think high performers have figured out that there's a difference maker. And I think the first thing a rep can take away from this today is to realize that um, it's, it's, it's the best player that wins. And when they, when they studied those poker players, that 88%, and they said, what made the difference? It's they understood the psychology of the moment they were in. And they adjusted their story and the skill with which they told that story based on that situation. And I think if I had to net it out for a seller, you need to understand the situation you're in with your prospect, customer, former customer, existing retention, expansion, you know, whatever that situation, understand that situation and understand how that person is thinking on the other side and be able to tell your story with the skills needed to tell it to win in that moment and become a student of each of those moments and of how buyers respond in each of those situations and, and understand how you as the player can impact that regardless of the hand you're dealt. And you're, that's where you're going to go next with this. You're, you're, that's where you're going to separate yourself um, from all the rest who are still trying to be product and process experts. Tim, 
Man, thank you. It's been a pleasure to get to know you better. And frankly, I could listen to you talk all day, man. Thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. And listeners, for more on our sales fitness tracker, True Voice, or about corporate visions, check out the show notes at www.primary-intel.com forward slash podcast. And remember, no deal is out of reach. We'll see you next time. 